Do, 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 do. Or wait, what's the opposite? How about do, 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 do. Sad trombone. Uh, Vancouver and Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't come see you right now. We're sorry to say. It's not us. It's the coronavirus. It told us not to come. That's right. Uh, local authorities are shutting down shows of this size. We are not able to come. We are postponing. We will have more information coming as far as rescheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe how it works is your tickets are good if you want to come to that other show. Uh, but we don't know all the details yet, so just bear with us while we try and figure this out. Right, and in the meantime, you can get in touch with the uh, Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall and the Chan Center box offices to figure out what's what. Yeah, they'll probably have good info. But we really apologize for any inconvenience, and we will eventually see you guys, we promise. In the meantime, stay well, wash those hands, and don't panic. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. And that, friends, makes this Stuff You Should Know. The final studio recording. That's pretty good, Chuck. (laughs) Maybe not final. That sounded a little final. The temporarily, for now, final studio recording. The indefinitely suspended recordings in the studio. Yeah, starting after, uh, obviously, everyone knows what's going on in this world. I was about to say this country. What? Uh, (laughs) Don't be coy. Okay. But... uh, I we were getting set up in our homes. Yeah, uh, I set up a system yesterday that I just didn't quite trust for today's. Yeah, it was a little little premature to to test the day after, right? I think so, but um, it was I, I posted a picture of it on the Movie Crush page, and was pretty excited. I was like, guys, after twelve years, I'm finally a dude recording a podcast in his basement. <laughs> right, you <laughs> you went full circle backwards. Full circle. That's nice. It was funny. People were saying stuff like, just make sure your mom keeps it down upstairs and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I saw that picture. I love the uh, the quilt tablecloth. It's really homespun. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's my daughter's quilt. I had to gank that. Oh, no. But uh, That's not okay. <laughs> it all sounds pretty. I mean, we she's not cold at night. We have other blankets. Oh, okay, good. Um, it sounds pretty good, though. You know, the band room already had sound baffling. Okay. So I just sort of... Moved some. I moved my bass player out of the way, and because uh, <laughs> this is kind of over in his corner, yeah, and just kind of positioned it where I'm speaking into this sort of dense corner, and I did a sound check, and it sounds pretty good. That's great, man. So look for that uh, coming soon, everyone. Hopefully, you won't know a difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like we should we should just not even mention it and see if anybody notices. Well, our aim is to keep bringing everyone shows every week and. Uh, to to not because you know p- podcasts are going to be a pretty big deal moving forward for people you know yeah I guess so I mean like if we can record remotely and still release on time like that'll hopefully be a source of comfort for people who are just sitting at home bored that's you right know, getting a little stir crazy so yeah that's the aim so our two aims are to not come down with coronavirus ourselves that's and also one. yeah and then also keep releasing on time and on schedule that's number two all right. So well, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it, Chuck. Um, so we're talking the Falklands War, and you requested this one, right? So this is this is your idea. Yeah, do you know why? It was one of those things that happens to us every now and then where we think of something yeah. that we remember. Right. 
but you know, know nothing about. Like, I remember sure. this. I was 11 years old, but I'm like, what was that all about? Where are the Falkland Islands even? Right. What's going on? Now I know all about it. Yes, but I was wondering if you were, um, if you requested it because of the fact that it's starting to heat up again geopolitically down there. No. Had nothing to do with it. Okay. Because it, it is. It turns out it is. We'll talk about it at the end there. But but I was like, wow, that's, that's very prescient. Chuck's got his finger on the pulse of like some no. real arcane geopolitics right now. No. This, this was all just sort of uh, yearbook memories. <laughs> <laughs> right. The Falkland Islands said, stay cool this summer. See you next <laughs> fall. So I was the first one to write on your crack. Um, did people do that? To yours? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's timeless, man. <laughs> so what we're talking about, though, is the Falkland Islands War in 1982. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great Britain went to war with Argentina over mm-hmm. a little tiny group. Well, they're not so tiny. We'll get into that. But um, as far as livable, thrivable areas, yeah, these little rocky islands out in the middle of nowhere in the Atlantic Ocean. And, and not to say that they're useless. They're definitely not useless. There are people who live there and have lived there for hundreds of years now. Um, but they, there was, no, there's been archaeological studies of the area, and they've turned up zero evidence of prehistoric people living there. So it's not... A, a highly valuable area, but yeah. it is a place that some people call home, and we're we're in no position to poo-poo anywhere somebody calls home. It's just, again, geopolitically speaking, it's really bizarre that that Great Britain went to war with Argentina over this particular set of islands. Yeah, and we'll get into the the ins and outs of that, but in general, it's fair to say that. Um, Old-time colonialism had a part in it, but it was also the fact that it's uh, the Falkland Islands are not super far, if you're talking about the size of the world, mm-hmm. uh, from Antarctica. And, you know, anytime there's there's uh, there are different countries that want to be set up near other places, right? seemingly unpopular land can become popular. It is, yeah. Every country wants to stake some sort of outpost near the um, ancient sleeping ones, the eldritch <laughs> gods that are asleep beneath Antarctica right now, to worship them, you know, when they wake up. But uh, that that can lead to disputes among nations, and in particular, Argentina is like, hey, man, these are like four hundred miles off of our coast. Surely they belong to us. They're about a thousand miles above Antarctica, the northernmost outpost of Antarctica. But the British say, no, 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 these are, this is a British territory, even though it is nowhere near Great Britain in any hey, sense of the word. that never stopped them before. <laughs> it really hasn't. But, and it does, it has to do with colonialism and the British Empire. But they, they have said, no, we've been here for a while. This is our place. Yeah. And uh, the Grabster put this together, very detailed yes. account. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about the the origin of these islands and why different countries thought that they were theirs. Yes, yeah, starting in about, I think, um, well, they they think possibly Magellan, maybe Amerigo Vespucci. Love that guy's name. Yeah. They may have seen the Falklands, um, but the first, the first British person to have uh, landed on the Falklands was named John Strong, and he showed up in 1690. And the Falkland Islands look... Kind of, if you squint and use, you know, 80% of your imagination, look a bit like a butterfly 
And the body of the butterfly is a channel that runs between the two main islands, East and West Falklands. And so he named that channel the the uh, Falkland Sound after uh, the guy who was running the show for the um, the Admiralty, the the Navy, I guess, of Great Britain at the time. Um, and he got his title from Scotland. So it actually is kind of appropriate that you would name this area after someplace in Scotland because it is kind of Scottish climate wise. Apparently, it's a little soggy. It's kind of cold. Um, and you kind of have to like that kind of weather to to survive there and not go crazy. Yeah, and some there he wasn't the first person. Other people had discovered it before. People came afterward, mm-hmm. and it's sort of so removed that people showed up afterward. Uh, in 1701, the French. Uh, 1764, more French. Yeah, and they both said, "Well, n- nothing's going on here. This is ours." Yeah, and they named them French names. Yeah, the the uh, the guy who really made a the first real attempt at settling the place, Antoine Louis de Bougainville, <laughs> he set up a colony, and um, the Spanish showed up, and they said, "Hey, you know how we basically own South America? We own this too. It's only four hundred miles uh, east of us. So, yeah. so get out of here." And Bougainville said, um, "Okay." But I set up this legit colony, and I want some money for it. So they gave him what would amount today to about $1.1 million for it. Not bad. Not bad at all. So the French said, okay, Spanish, this is yours. We recognize that. Well, at about the same time, some English settlers showed up, and they said, we're going to settle this place. Had no idea that the French were even there. Had even less of an idea that the French had just sold their claim to it to Spain. And the British kind of made their home there. Uh, for about a year before they noticed a French settlement there and went over and said, hey, this is our place. You need to get out. Yeah, it's funny, too, because Ed made a very Ed joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, Q, yakety sex, because <laughs> that's kind of what it sounded like at first. Yeah, like for Britain sure. settled it. They didn't even notice that there was a French settlement there. until Not for a, a year. Yeah, until a year later. Right. Uh, and then this weird exchange starting in 19, I'm sorry, 1769. Mm-hmm. Uh, started going back and forth where... The summer of love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to say that every time we mention a year from now on. <laughs> I almost let it slip by and I was like, last possible second, I'm I'm going for it. That's pretty good. Thank you. So this, uh, starting in 1769, this weird exchange started where British ships and Spanish ships would go back and forth trading letters that got a little more heated saying, no, you leave. No, you leave. <laughs> you. And then eventually <laughs> Spain said, oh, you know what? We're going to send all of our ships. And Britain said, fine, it's yours in, in a certain way. <laughs> yeah, in a certain way. And this is really kind of critical because I guess the the Spanish forced the British out. But I don't know if there was any kind of treaty signed I, or any kind of document. It didn't sound like it. Okay. So, so this, the Spanish— um, the Spanish forced the British out and basically, I guess, took at least possession of the islands. Um, but this was a big deal. This was um, the Falklands have been a site of international wars for years now. And the first one was called the Falkland Islands Crisis of 1770, where the French were down there, the English were down there, the Spanish were down there, and all of them wanted this island 
mainly because the English and the French didn't want the Spanish to control the entire southwestern hemisphere of the world, which they basically did by controlling South America for the most part. And uh, uh, conversely, the Spanish were like, I don't want the French and the English to have even just a little bit of a toehold here, so they need to get out. But it was a big deal. It was, it was literally called the Falkland Islands Crisis of 1770. Yeah, and America was like, oh, can we please be a country quickly so we can get down there too? <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll just hang in the background and manipulate everything. All right. So after that crisis point, uh, England and Spain both had settlements down there mm-hmm. for quite a few years, and they were just sort of both down there. It was right. kind of odd. If you look historically, that's usually not how things go. Yeah. Apparently, the the crisis never came to a full head and actually just went to a breaking point. It just s- continued to simmer, I guess, with everybody hanging out on the island. I bet there were some good times, too, though. Maybe so. <laughs> uh, in the 1800s, uh, they both left. And then that kind of was like a reboot almost for the Falklands. No one really had a claim. Yeah, uh, It fell into, I mean, it sounds scary on one hand, but it also sounds like a wild party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because pirates and whalers, basically, uh, Ed described it as had their way with the island for two decades. So I guess they, they, they yeah. had sex with the island. They literally <laughs> humped the island. That's what it was like down there. Uh, but it was it fell into uh, lawlessness and uh, piracy, like we said. Um, and then the Argentinian Revolution came around. Spain lost all the claim, but Argentina. It was so rough. Argentina tried to to say, "Hey, this is ours," and put governors on the island, but they got rebuffed by the the party scene. Yeah, the <laughs> the party people said, "Get out of here." Yeah, and they actually did. They this the the Argentinians failed to install any kind of government on the island, and so in 1834, the British showed up with the governor, and they said, "We're installing some law around here," and either they were more uh, apt to kill people to get their way, or the people down there already were more down with the British than the Argentinians. I'm not sure. But either way, the British were successful at installing a government there starting in 1834. So here's the thing. Um, From that moment on, the British had a government set up and connected to the, the, the government of Great Britain from that moment on. And that is basically the the basis of the claim that they make, that they say, we have been living on these islands in one, one way or another continuously since 1834. Of course, this is our territory. Yeah. I mean, they, they built a town, uh, Stanley, which is, as far as I know, still the sort of biggest thing going there. Oh, by far. Uh, they were farmers, our farmers, uh, sheep, cattle, pigs. Yeah. Uh, they would do a little fishing. It was a place where um, boats could stop off and get fixed or fueled up or something or resupplied. Yeah, they make a little money on the side from tourists who come to see people humping islands. <laughs> but we're talking less than 5,000 people, and they are all basically Scottish and Welsh uh, descendants of those settlers. So yeah. if you were to go down to the Falkland Islands in the early 1980s, and even now— you would think this is a British outpost. Yeah, dude, as recently as 2013, Great Britain held a referendum for, you know, um, self-determination among the Falklanders. And all but four, four residents, not 4%, four residents voted to stay a British territory. What do they want to do? 
what do you the the four? Yeah, Ross Perot. They, were, they all they want to do is hump the <laughs> island. They don't want to be bothered to think about politics at all. Uh, which they call the Ross Perot. Ross Perot. <laughs> hey, get it, get it. <laughs> oh boy, maybe we should take a break, <laughs> take a little cool shower. Okay, and uh, we'll come back with more Falkland mania right after this. Okay, so the British are saying, hey, not only have we had a claim on this since at least 1834, the people who live there consider themselves British. It's ours. But the Argentinians said, no, you know what? The Spanish held this place before the British, and we inherited any any title to it from the Spanish for after the revolution. Um, there's a, there's a, it's closer to us. W- what else do you want? What do you want to hear? And the Argentinians' claim on the Falklands is actually fairly tenuous um but uh, the the that has not stopped them from from kind of coveting these islands and, and making attempts to go after them over the years yeah i mean you know argentina will say you guys left in 1774 mm-hmm. uh so you abandon it britain would say well you never establish any kind of sovereignty there right uh there were no indigenous people it's not like we came down here and kicked all your people out of here and displaced them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's really no big moral claims either. And I don't know if I know enough about it, even after all this, to to really say without making some people mad. But it seems like it was Britain's. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I'm, yeah, no, it's it's still like a, a point of national soreness in Argentina, and and a, I think there's a little bit of national pride in in the UK of it. But yes, the fact that the people who live there and have are descended from people who have lived there since 1834 consider themselves themselves British. That's I agree with you. That to me says it's it's a British territory, which ostensibly would make Argentina the uh, the the invading force, the bad people. Yes, and that's the thing. Like we always have to have good guys and bad guys, and they're you know both sides did good and bad things during this conflict there were bad people on both sides but you can you can oh man you can make man chuck you can make the case that yes if you have to identify an aggressor in this situation it was argentina who who did it cuz again the spanish settled it before the british but then the spanish left and the argentinians overthrew the spanish there were no indigenous people that lived on these islands that were connected to Argentine, Argentina in any way. There's really no legal or moral claim that Argentina had aside from proximity, and that just doesn't really hold up when it comes to yeah. terri- territorial disputes. So, yes, you can really make the case that Argentina was the aggressor, and it doesn't hurt that the proportion of Argentinian listeners to stuff you should know pales in comparison to the British proportion. (laughs) So uh, leading up to the war, this is sort of the scene. You've got the people living on the Falkland Islands. Um, The economy wasn't great. It's never been booming. Like we said, it's a very small seaside hamlet of farmers. Yep. Uh, They were depending on the the British government uh, subsidies to, to even get by. And this is, you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, Britain says, you know what? We would like to start trading with Argentina. 
We would like to help these islanders out, maybe let them move some wool, maybe make it easier to get fuel and supplies. Mm -hmm. And Margaret Thatcher comes into power and says, maybe it might also be nice to sell them weapons in Argentina. Yeah. They need missiles and we've got them. Yeah. She opened her trench coat. She's like, what do you need? What do you need? I got it. I got it. <laughs> and everyone went, whoa, <laughs> iron lady. I'm not saying she was nude under oh, there. No, okay. just that she had missiles in her trench coat. Oh, gotcha. So he, there was one other thing. It wasn't just that the British were being patrimonious and really wanted to help the Falklanders out by opening up trade between them and the Argentinians. They also wanted to potentially offload responsibility for the Falklands to Argentina. Kind of like how you would consider selling a car that you knew maybe had 50 miles left in it. <laughs> oh, man. But you could sink some money into repairing it or whatever, or you can sell it to some schmo. Mm -hmm. And Great Britain identified that this would be a great bargaining chip. The Argentinians really want this thing, so maybe we can sell them this used car in addition to selling them some missiles for a few billion pounds. Yeah. Argentina said, can I take it for a spin? And Britain went, I can't find the keys right now, but if we go ahead and make the deal, I'll, I'll see if I can find them. It runs great, though. Yeah, exactly. So just trust me. But but imagine what you just said in a British accent. Yeah, I've thought about doing it, but nah. So um, the thing is, is this didn't go over very well with Great Britain. Um, no. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't just, uh, these are British subjects in some form or another. You can't just abandon them to the Argentines. You can't sell them out. And the people on the island of the Falklands were not very happy with this either. Um, supposedly, they used to call themselves Kelpers. And I think I get the impression that it's one of those things that they can still call themselves Kelpers, but if you're from Argentina and you call them Kelpers, then that's that's fighting words. Okay. But um, they did not uh, they did not like the idea of being sold off to the Argentinians in a as a pawn in a larger uh, trade negotiation to sell missiles. That that just didn't sit well with them. No, and you get why. I totally get why. And the other problem is, is this is this is just so neo-lib, too. The Thatcher administration went in and was like, this is really what we want to do, sell missiles. But we're not going to give one way or another. There's no compromise on the Falklands. It's either all or nothing. And um, they, they uh, I guess, wanted to open trade to the Argentinians, but didn't want to give them to the Argentinians. But the Argentinians wanted them. And rather than find a compromise, like I said, it was just all or nothing. And they just left it as is. They basically scared the pants off of the Falkland Islanders saying, we're willing to basically leave you guys hanging. Um, but at the same time, they weren't willing to, to pull the trigger and go all the way and, and let Argentina have the Falklands and maybe administer them correctly. Who knows? So instead, the Falkland Islands were left in this weird geopolitical limbo in uh, starting about 1979, I believe, 1980, um, to where... No one quite knew exactly how interested Great Britain was in holding these islands. Ar Argentina was very interested in getting these islands. Yeah. And the Falkland Islanders were caught in the middle of this. Yeah. And on the Argentinian side, they were uh, sort of in the midst of a uh, right-wing military dictatorship uh, that after a 76 coup, mm -hmm. um, they were not nice people. They terrorized people. They murdered their opponents. They imprisoned people. It was called the Dirty War. Um, within that, or a few years after that, in 1981, there was an, an internal coup mm -hmm. within that same party uh, where a General Leopoldo 
Galtieri. Mm-hmm. Good? Sure. All right. Um, he went into power, but still that same right-wing faction. And they wanted not only the Falklands, they wanted the South, uh, they wanted South Georgia Island and South Sandwich Islands. Mm-hmm. And basically wanted that whole sort of South Atlantic area because of Antarctica. Yeah. Yeah. So they, um, the other thing is <clears throat> a lot of people point to this. Did you mention the name of that, the, um, dictatorship? Oh, the, uh, the NPR? No, it's the opposite of the NPR. It's the, the NRP. NRP. <laughs> yeah. It's not the opposite. National reorganization process. Well, I mean, opposite <laughs> of the ethos of NPR. <laughs> oh, it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I guess, although they're both into re-education for sure. Oh, boy. So, um, Argentina basically was saying like, okay, we're, we're a military junta. We don't know what to do with the economy. We're super oppressive, especially against our opposition. We'll like make you disappear and murder your family and all this stuff. This is a bad jam at home. We need something to make everybody feel good about being Argentinian again. Yep. Maybe, maybe if we go get these Falkland Islands, this little adventurism that we go on, will restore patriotism in Argentina and will make everybody look the other way on this what's called the dirty war that we've been fighting for the last few years since we've come to power. And that was kind of like the the big impetus toward Argentina. They had like these military aspirations because it was, after all, a merit military coup that took over. It was a military dictatorship. So what else are they going to do? Military stuff. But at the same time, Britain was widely viewed around the world as not really caring much about what happened to the Falklands. And I think that that gave Argentina an overblown sense of how easy it would be to just go ahead and take these islands once and for all as their own. Yeah, they needed this for nationalism, they couldn't count on Diego Maradona to come in and save the day for another four or five years. Okay. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? He was a uh, a uh, soccer player. Yeah. He must of, have been a contemporary of Pele's then, The huh? hand of God. That was a very uh, famous soccer goal that he scored, I think, in the hand of You can't use your hands in soccer. Exactly. Huh. <laughs> Look it up. Okay. So I think that's kind of sets the table for what's what's about to happen here. Um, it's not like England, uh, or I'm sorry, geez, I always do that. Let's just say Britain to be safe. That's what I've been doing. Uh, Britain wasn't really planning for this. Um, even though there'd been a lot of back and forth about the Falklands, I don't think they expected, uh, ultimately a surprise attack. They weren't really prepared. Um, like you mentioned, the Argentines thought it would kind of go pretty easily because they didn't seem like they cared about it, the Brit- right. the Brits. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to go get all these islands. Uh, but then this weird sort of start to the war, to the start of a very weird war happened, mm-hmm. which is was an incident at South Georgia Island with a, uh, with a scrap metal dealer, of all things. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at this at that time, remember, the, the Argentinian dictatorship was like just looking for any opportunity to take these islands. And that scrap metal dealer got a, 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 um, contract? a contract yeah. to dismantle the whaling station in South Georgia Island. And so he chartered a, a, an Argentinian naval, Navy vessel to carry him and his salvage crew over there. And Argentina actually thought well, this would be a good opportunity for us to secretly invade South Georgia Island. I mean, invade by way of just sort of parking their car there and saying, yeah. hey, this is ours. Exactly. Exactly. And they didn't even, as they were backing in, 
somebody else was coming in front ways. Oh, Seinfeld. Yes, and they just had to stand there and argue for a while. But finally, <laughs> the Argentinians won. And when they got—this is the weird thing. When they got to South Georgia Island, the first thing they did, the salvage crew, was raise the Argentinian flag. They replaced the Union Jack with the Argentinian flag. It's an act of and, aggression. Dude— you could be a second-grade Cub Scout and recognize that you are not supposed to do something like that. Not even as a joke, which is what Argentina ultimately claimed yeah, that was. We were just kidding around. Just joking was their international diplomatic response. Yeah, and Britain does not take kindly to that. No, because they knew that Argentina wanted these islands. But here's the thing. That it was a really stupid thing to do because right when British diplomats pointed out that they had done this and demanded that it be removed and the Union Jack be put up, the Argentinians were like, just kidding, just kidding, and put the flag back up. But it immediately put the British on high alert. Like oh, yeah. the, the diplomatic tensions were were raised. Um, it was it was a dumb thing to do, and if they were planning on really um, tactically invading and holding. The Falklands, because it got the Brit- the British atten- the the British's attention. Yeah, it didn't seem like any of this is very well thought out. No, um, they were closer, so like they both start sending ships. Um, Argentina is going to get there quicker, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, they sent clear indication that they were going to invade the Falklands. Uh, the Endurance was a a British ship, and Captain Barker of the Endurance brought this news to London. There were only 68 Marines on the islands, uh, Royal Marines, British Marines, didn't have great weapons, were really under, uh, they were under-weaponed, under-artilleried, under-staffed. They they were just, yeah. it was sort of those deals where they're like, what are we doing down here, guys, for a long time, I think, until this happened. Right. Um, so, I mean, imagine being that. There was like 68 of them, I guess, yes. just hanging out, like 68 knowing that the Argentinians were coming, right? Or thinking that they they probably were. I know, they knew it was on the way. Well, here's the thing. So back in London, um, Margaret Thatcher and her Tory uh, government were... um, not convinced. Like they, she said later on, um, I think she, they, her diaries got published about this or whatever. But in the days leading up to it, she was like, she could not believe that Argentina would actually go through with an invasion because it was such a stupid thing to do. Yeah. That she just couldn't believe it. Um, and so that was combined with, um, eventually with some of her, um, like military advisors saying, if they take these islands, there's no guarantee we're going to get them back. And she realized that if she lost the Falkland Islands to Argentina, that was it. She was never going to be reelected. Right. And her government would basically just limp along until the next election. It would be a really bad look for her. Um, so she had to win these back. But at the same time, she couldn't just send the Royal Navy down there for nothing. So she had to make this decision about what to do, whether to to be proactive or reactive. And she ultimately waited and and was reactive. And by the time she reacted, she was she was kind of um, she was working with the knowledge that it wasn't guaranteed that that now that they have invaded, that Great Britain would be able to take it back. That's right. And you say take it back. We haven't even mentioned the fact that Argentina took it to begin with. Yeah, I think that was implied. Uh, April 2nd, 1982, about 3 o'clock in the morning, their tactical dive team uh, came aboard the island. 
They approached the Capitol. They, under cover of darkness, uh, fired on the barracks, which they, because the Royal Marines knew this was coming. So they had abandoned the barracks mm-hmm. and were sort of falling back essentially toward the government house, which is where they were going to hole up on their final stand. Right. Uh, Argentinians had a lot more people. They had amphibious assault vehicles. And eventually the uh, the Brits uh, retired to the government house and said, we give up. We surrender. Uh, 10 a.m., the Union Jack was replaced by the Argentinian flag. And Argentina broke their arms, patting themselves on the back. They lost five people. They killed one. I'm sorry, zero, zero. British soldiers. And we're mm-hmm. like, all right, we did it. That was super easy, just like we thought. And so the Argentinians were thinking, well, you know, that was very easy. The British are clearly disinterested in the Falklands. They're probably just going to say, well, you guys captured it fair and square. We'll get our people out of there. They're your islands now. But this is not at all what happened. In fact, um, the British did not take very kindly to this. And I propose we take a break and talk about the actual Falkland War after this. Let's do it. Okay, so where we left off was uh, Argentina had taken the Falklands with very little effort, and then Margaret Thatcher realized what was going on in a big way, and she went... Not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> that was dead on. So once Britain said, you know what, we're going to fight back here and we're going to take these islands back, it became the real deal thing. Uh, and we'll talk about in the end, there, you know, casualties numbered at about a thousand on both sides. So it still wasn't the biggest conflict, mm-hmm. but it was a real conflict. No, it really was. And Britain was in this weird position. Argentina was in a weird position in that they were fighting a pretty substantial military. But Britain was in a weird position in that they knew that if they overshowed force, if they just pounded the Argentinians into dust, other countries might actually enter the war on the on the side of Argentina. So they had to get these islands back with with without just using all of their might against Argentina. Yeah, and with also saying, we're not going to come after you, Argentina. Yeah. In Argentina. Supposedly they explicitly said that, huh? Yeah. All, I mean, this is such a weird war and a weird time. It really was. It was a weird war. But yeah, a lot of people just kind of joke like, oh, you know, the, the British invaded the Falklands. What a what an over, overblown move. But at the same time, it was like, you know, Thatcher's prime ministry was on the line. And also... Um, the the idea that these were British subjects who were being occupied, like like make no mistake about it, if you yeah, were we can't forget about them, if you were living on the Falklands and you left your house, you were living under um, Argentinian occupation. They changed what side of the road you're supposed to drive on, you had, which is crazy. A little bit. You had to. Um, oh, by the way, one of these days we're gonna have to do a short stuff on Doggin H. It was in either Sweden or I think Sweden. It was the day that they changed from one side of the road to the other for oh driving. <laughs> that was fun. Around the country, yes. It was just a big mess. So we'll talk about that sometime. But um, you also had to carry like a white flag around with you to basically mm-hmm. let them know you were a non-combatant. And even still, even under those conditions, 
um, I think at least three Falkland Islanders were killed during this war. So like this was, you know, it was a, it was a big deal. And there was, there were reasons for the British to invade. Um, and again, you can really make the case that Argentinians were the aggressors in this situation. Yeah. So, uh, April 6th, uh, the Great Britain finally, um, puts together a war cabinet. They, they name their operation, Operation Corporate. Mm -hmm. And they send down a couple of aircraft carriers, about 127 ships. They send down fighter jets. There's helicopters. Um, while they're doing this, because like we mentioned, it, it takes a long time to get down there on an aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. They were still hoping to work this out. Like France got involved and they said, you know what? We're not going to sell arms to Argentina anymore. Uh, they're flying our fighter jets, by the way. So here's some help in defeating them. Right. If you want a little inside scoop. Yeah. There's a little button on the back as long as you push it, <laughs> and they won't be able to drop bombs. Yep, their wings will fold in. <laughs> uh, Reagan got involved. He called up Galtieri specifically and said, let's try and work it out peacefully. Uh, I'm going to send Al Haig down there. Sure. And they said, nope, we don't want your help, Reagan. So British Britain said, oh, you don't want Ronald Reagan's help? Then screw you. It's on. Yeah, and so it was on. From that point on, the British were like, all right, well, then it's just war is what we're going to do. So their um, two aircraft carriers showed up. And since they only had two, they had a limited number of um, jets. But it turns out that their jets were mostly useful in keeping the Argentinian fighter jets away from bombing and missile attacks on the ships, but weren't successful in every case. Like, as funny as it seems, you know, like the, the British were fighting the Argentinians, Argentina had some some successes definitely in this war, too. It wasn't just sure. totally lopsided. Yeah, I mean, Britain, uh, it all really, really started on April 25th. And kind of one of the first things that Britain did was uh, go after one of their submarines, mm -hmm. the Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. Damaged that one pretty heavily. Uh, that that submarine made it to the South Georgia Island, but uh, the crew jumped off and basically retired that submarine on the spot. Um, Royal Marines were getting reinforced the whole time, and this is uh, really what made the biggest difference: is uh, Britain had complete control of the the naval side of things. Right. Yeah. Just immediately, the the Argentinians figured out like, oh, we're we we aren't going to be able to do much with our navy. But again, we've got some fighter jets, and you know they're French, and they work pretty good as long as you don't press that one button. Um, and they they used them to to good effect in that they would fly decoy flights to get the British jets to come chase them, and then the real um, attack jets would come in and actually attack like a ship or maybe the mainland or something like that. Yeah, that worked maybe a couple of times. Sure. <laughs> they also had some, uh, they also had surface-to-air missiles that they used fairly well, although they apparently accidentally shot down one of their planes at least once. Um, the, the point of all this, the upshot is that despite, you know, the British superiority in just about every single way, um, Argentina did did have some success, and they managed to stave off the British retaking the Falklands, which, spoiler alert, the British retook the Falklands, um, for, you know, this whole conflict lasted 74 days. Yeah, they sunk a destroyer. Uh, I think they sunk some other ships. The big, uh, one of the big turning points was when, on May 2nd, uh, the General Belgrano which was an Argentinian cruiser, mm -hmm. was destroyed by the HMS Conqueror. 
And that was like 323 men were killed basically in that attack. And that was, you know, not half, but 40% of the losses of the whole war. Right. And most of 30%. Most of Argentina's losses came from the sinking of that one ship. Yeah. And that was viewed as fairly grotesque by a lot of people, by the international community, really, because remember, England needed to, sorry, Great Britain needed to, um, to basically show themselves as showing restraint. And this was not necessarily a show of restraint. The um, the Argentinians said that this was not inside of the no-go zone where they, their ship mm-hmm. wasn't supposed to be, um, that it had been tracked down by the British and sunk, that they could have just disabled it, but they, they purposefully sunk it, and that, you know, it killed 323 Argentinians in one shot, which is just bad press for anybody. It makes England look like a, a over overblown yeah. bully. Um and, you know, they died in pretty terrible ways. Like, a lot of them drowned, but a, a lot of them froze in lifeboats. Because, again, we're not that far away from Antarctica. Yeah, And it took, like, warm. 24 hours, I think, for them to be rescued. So a lot of people froze to death in lifeboats waiting to be rescued because they were sunk by this British ship rather than just having their ship disabled. Yeah, Ed made a nice little Jaws reference in this, too. Did you catch that? I didn't. Uh, May the 2nd, 1982. 1,095 men went into the water, oh. 772 come out, the sea took the rest. <laughs> I got it now. Uh, the other that was, big turning, that was Hooper, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. of course. Um, the other big turning point came, of course, you know, this is all like sinking of ships and naval battles. Uh, what they needed to do was take the main town. And on May 21st, uh, the British gained a, a very uh, good foothold when they made a landing on East Falkland and started advancing towards Stanley, which was not Stanley the guy that was just there cleaning up, but Stanley the town. Stanley the measuring tape. That's right. Uh, And they basically, you know, Argentinians would fight till they ran out of ammo. Mm -hmm. Then they would get captured, and the Brits would just move slowly. I think from May 21st to June 11th, uh, they finally assaulted uh, Stanley. And on June (laughs) 14th, (laughs) no, poor Stanley. On June 14th, so just three days after they finally got to Stanley, they surrendered. Argentina did. Yeah, but but note here that it was May 21st that the British finally landed on East Falkland. Mm-hmm. And June 13th that they managed to take control of um, Stanley. Yeah, three weeks. It, it was three weeks. And the, the Argentinians managed to um, hold them off for that long. But this is almost like, you know— um, those movies, like the huge sweeping epic comedies, like it's a mad, 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 mad world. Sure. Where there's like 10 different things going on at once and the, the scene just kind of visits, you know, each person. In one scene, there was a brig- brigadier general named Tony Wilson, who is, I guess, on hiatus from running factory records at the time. Mm-hmm. He Very nice. was trying to get to Fitzroy, which was a smaller town, not as big as Stanley, but it was a town. And... He decided to get some intel on where the Argentinians would. He just he just looked up the number from one of the Fitzroy residents, put went to a phone booth and called and said, Hey, are the Argentinians around today? And the resident said, No, they're not. Maybe today would be a good day for you guys to come. And that's how they overtook Fitzroy. Wow. And so little by little they started taking like the East Falklands until, like you said, they finally took Stanley. Amazing. And one other thing, one of the over uh, overlooked unsung groups of soldiers who helped really retake Stanley are um, the Gurkhas. Have you heard about them? I have not. Holy cow, dude. 
they're, they're widely considered to be the toughest um, soldiers in the world. Toughest mother Gurkhas on the planet. Exactly. Um, they are from Nepal. They're the Nepalese, like basically Nepalese special forces. And they're known for carrying these uh, Kukri knives, K-U-K-R-I knives. Okay. Uh, I'm sure I said that incorrectly. And by the way, apparently everyone else in the world except for you and I knows how to pronounce the national language of the Philippines correctly. Yeah, we did a listener mail about that, but they're just still pouring in. Yeah. So uh, these these knives are just really fierce looking. And they're like these guys are basically just going from like outlooks or observation station to observation station. I guess just taking out Argentinian guys with their knives and, and helping reestablish this British foothold on the East Falklands. Check them out, the Amazing. Gurkhas. You're, you'll, you'll like them, I think. I <laughs> like the Gurkhas? Sure. So uh, in the end, they, like we said, they surrendered on June 14th. Um, we should point out that there was a neutral sea zone uh, that had hospital ships on both sides. And throughout this whole thing, which got really acrimonious, you know, it sounds silly to say about a war, mm-hmm. but it was one of the more acrimonious wars because it was it was small and they were really mad at each other, <laughs> you know. But these hospital ships helped each other out. They cooperated. They transferred patients, um, which says a lot about how things were, you know. Yeah. It was still civil, even though acrimonious, right? That's right. Uh, Argentina, in the end, <clears throat> suffered 649 deaths, which was, like we said, about half of those, actually, almost exactly half, mm-hmm. came from that uh, ship sinking. Yeah. Britain lost 255 and those three, three poor kelpers. And I'm sorry if that's offensive. I think I think if yeah I don't I don't know if it is if you're let's just call them Falkland civilians yeah they were killed Stanleyites yes Stanley and the Antonians so it did not work out well for Argentina it really backfired that was pretty humiliating defeat uh, the NRP was defeated in 1983 yeah and free elections started so that's a good thing. Yeah, that is that was this was actually a huge impetus for them losing control of power was the you know, the Argentina was was defeated and kind of humiliated actually. Um and this military government, since this was like Ed put it, like a, a Hail Mary, a last ditch effort to kind of re- retain power. They lost the Falklands, so they lost their power in Argentina. That's and right. it's always good anytime a, a military dictatorship loses control of a, a nation. Sure. Yeah. So um, one of the things, Chuck, is still to this day, the Falklands are in dispute by Argentina. And I was asking you if, if you, um, you came up with this idea because of stuff that's been going on lately. But ever since, I think, 2009, Argentina made a claim at the UN to extend its territorial waters from 200 nautical miles offshore to 350. Well, 350 nautical miles off of Argentina completely envelops the Falkland Islands, the South Georgia Island, and the Sandwich Islands, okay? Mm. This is not something that the British are okay with, um, so much so that the one of the revelations from the Snowden um, whistleblower files was that the British had engaged in disinformation campaigns and propaganda campaigns, secret ones, to change public opinion in Argentina about the Falklands' sovereignty and them being part of a British you know, them being just thoroughly British and Argentina has no claim on it. Right. And the reason why, and I was looking into this, I'm like, is another war there possible? Who knows? The reason why is because in 2010, 
they found a massive oil deposit ah. that is in the territorial waters of the Falklands. So if Argentina's waters extend to envelop the Falklands, that's their oil deposit. The UK mm. said, no, no, that's our oil deposit because that's in the Falkland waters. And I think in 2016, the UN commission ruled in favor of Argentina um, even though they said, well, we don't really have any teeth. It's just our opinion that Argentina has a legitimate claim on this. And the UK said, eh, we're not going to be paying attention to that. Wow. Yeah, so it's still continuing today. And even more than just being like a source of national pride, now it's a source of national oil. So who knows what will happen in the coming years over that. Jeez. Plus, when the eldritch gods wake up, you know. Yeah, well. Then we're all doomed. So, uh, you got anything else about the Falklands? Got nothing else. And now, and now I get it. Yep, me too, Chuck. Me too. So, thanks for that. Uh, if you want to know more about the Falklands, well, you can start reading up on it. There's plenty of stuff to be read. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. I'm going to call this uh, from a teacher who is uh, grounded right now because of the coronavirus. Yeah. And wants a little help from us. Okay. Uh, hey guys, my name is Marissa Stratton. I'm a sixth grade teacher from Springfield, Illinois. Like most of the country, our school is currently shut down. I'm wondering if you could help me with a suggestion for my students. I'm fairly new to the podcast world. I listen to and love your podcast. I would love to recommend it to my students, but I know some topics would be inappropriate for 11-year-olds. You got that right. It's like uh, humping the island? <laughs> yeah. I was about to say any of our history shows. Uh, here is where your help would be greatly appreciated. Do you have any specific episodes in mind? It would be great for 11 and 12 year olds, or do you have suggestions of other podcasts that middle schoolers might enjoy? I've read a lot of articles, but I'm just overwhelmed. Being out of the classroom is very stressful, and I want to make sure I'm recommending popularity and quality to my students, not just popularity. Mm-hmm. That is from uh, Marissa Stratton. So I thought about this. I didn't make a specific list, but um, I was just about to say most of our history shows are pretty pretty uh, appropriate. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would like to think that all of our stuff is in the wheelhouse of 11 and 12-year-olds, at least uh, the same level of humor. I think so. I mean, it's pretty easy when you look through the 1,200-plus episodes. There's a lot of science and history and uh, stuff like that. Like, it's, I think it's pretty clear the ones to avoid. Like, if you see things on, like, magic mushrooms or marijuana grow farms. <laughs> sure. Uh, or murder stories, yeah. stuff like that, you may want to avoid. But, you know, aside from that, it's pretty self explanatory. A few dumb blue jokes aside from us, they're pretty, pretty clean. For sure. And a lot of them probably fly over an 11 year old's head. Yeah, but, you know, that's, that's for her to decide. They may want to learn about the Mendelbrot set. <laughs> so, so, uh, no, no, no. I mean, our jokes, our jokes might fly oh. over the 11 year old's head. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, that's true so yeah I guess I would recommend maybe listening to them once before sharing them but yeah it, like we pride ourselves on being pretty family friendly agreed okay who, that was Ms. Stratton correct well thanks a lot Ms. Stratton and hello to your class uh, who are being taught virtually I'm guessing right now uh, we're the teachers now yeah exactly just <laughs> leave it to us America and world we got this uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Ms. Stratton did, uh, please feel free to. You can send us an email, wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.